Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do you really know? My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And we are live on tape from Dublin, and the Queen says no to pot-smoking FBI members. We are going to talk today about something at the very end of the Beatles' existence, namely January the 3rd, 1970. On the first weekend of the new year of the new decade, Paul, George and Ringo went into Abbey Road Studio 2 and with George Martin behind the production desk, they cut a new Beatles song, I Me Mine, the last one. And then the following day, they finished off the Let It Be song and then they were done. And this session always looked like an outlier. It had been four months since all four of them had been in a recording studio together when they finished up Abbey Road the previous August. So in this podcast, we're going to look at the timeline of events between August 69 and January 1970 and ask, you know, were the Beatles really finished? This session as an outlier, could it have pointed a, a direction for them continuing on in the 1970s? I have to admit, you know, when I first heard about this session, it always looked like an odd one out, this January 1970 session. Yes. Uh, it, as you say, it's been several months since they've been in the studio. Um, really, this was dictated by the fact that the release date was looming for the film, Let It Be. Um, the song, I Me Mine, appears in the film. And uh, so they needed a studio run through uh, that they could add uh, to the soundtrack. Um, so they were, it was really a session that was forced on them by the, uh, the release date of the film. Yes. And there's certain stories and narratives that go around the Beatles, particularly around the Beatles split about how it happened and that it was somewhat inevitable. And I, I don't really buy that story completely. I think there are certain points at 1969 when an intervention could have perhaps saved things or a better manager perhaps could have saved things. I think I think that's right. I think, I think that narrative is really dictated by the Let It Be film. Yes. Um, so that really, the focus of that film was the discontent, the, the sort of animosity that was building... Uh, there's that sort of famous row caught on camera between uh, Paul and George. But it always seemed to me, every time I see that film, I'm surprised at the bad reputation it has. It seems to me it's much less uh, depressing um, than, than, I, than even I remember from the first time seeing it when it was on broadcast on the BBC. Yes. It even physically looks depressing the way it's 16 millimeter blown up it's, to 35 it, millimeter and it's just yeah, dark um, and cold it's, and it's, all that kind it, of stuff. It's grainy. Um, I don't think it's directed particularly well. I think the editing leaves a lot to be desired. It's not synced up. Yeah. Uh, the, the music and the, so, so it's, it's, it, it has a sort of amateurish quality to much of it, particularly the, the, the Twickenham uh, yes. uh, sessions. But the, 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 the narrative, the accepted narrative is that, uh, you know, they came to an end in, in January 69, those sessions, and then they were, they were also fed up with each other. They all went their separate ways and then they convened uh, you know, we can't leave that as our legacy. We've got to get back together. But but that's not what happened at all. They went straight uh, three weeks after finishing the, the Let It Be Get Back sessions. They're back in the studio recording I Want You She's So Heavy, which appears on Abbey Road. So yeah. they, they just kept working. I think broadly speaking, we're going to see in the next year or two a total rewriting of the Let It Be slash Get Back story when Peter Jackson's Apple-sanctioned edit comes to yeah. the fore. It'll look shiny. It'll look clean it looked fun and they've already started that uh, you know he's already said oh it's 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 wasn't what i was expecting yes. and it was it <laughs> we've was already been a, told the white album was a lovely happy yeah every everything was every, lovely nothing went wrong no, at no all no one can really understand why they split up at all <laughs> yes they, they never split up well yes the fact that we're doing this means that you know they're just a state of mind obviously um the birth of my me mine i mean this is the i me mine is the only beatles song in the entire catalog that was 
recorded in the 70s. So when you listen to all your Beatles songs, you know, it's it's always amusing that they're so totemic of the 1960s that literally every single song except for I, Me, Mine was recorded in the 1960s. Um, but the birth of I, Me, Mine goes back almost exactly a year beforehand to the 8th of January 1969. Uh, and obviously the Beatles spent all of January 1969 uh, recording the songs from scratch for Let It Be. And George, kind of in a bit of a well, his January 1969 was a bit of an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> to he be wasn't, polite, he wasn't in a good frame of mind, and that, I mean that comes across. And I think I'm right in saying that in the film, he he is demoing this song to Ringo, and he's kind of saying, "I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care. Yeah, you know, this is something I wrote last night. Um, like it, don't like it." And it, it's a very sort of apathetic approach. Um, and this is the song that accompanies uh, John and Yoko. Waltzing, waltzing yeah. around. So, which is a lovely which is moment. A, which is really why I think Michael Lindsay Hogg, the director, wanted to use that yes. footage, which is then why they had to record. Um, but what doesn't come across in that film is John actually saying, I don't like this song, this band. We don't do Spanish right. waltzes in this band. Did he say that yeah. explicitly? Oh, so he, he absolutely uh, disses the, the, the song. He's not interested. Yes. Um, so I actually always assumed that the dancing was a kind of sarcastic uh, right. commentary on the song. But he yeah. really didn't like the song and was very scathing. But that, to be fair... But Lennon was doing a lot of that in 69. He I'm was, thinking of Teddy Boy when he's yeah. dozy doing behind Paul's back and all yeah. that. When you uh, kind of look at January 1969... You know, George has just come back from his Woodstock experience. He kind of thinks he's in the band. He's yeah. writing. He wants a kind of a rustic feel. I've always thought it was strange that George, you know, let get back slash let it be was trying to get back to, to something else. So it should have been an avenue for George to do his, you know, Woodstock Dylan yep. band fantasy yep. and instead he's kind of sabotaging it is it because he's not presenting himself well enough he, he doesn't do that Paul thing where he goes here's a song do, do, do. this is how it goes yeah, he's a bit well, more I think I think part of that uh, is that he's coming back into a situation where he is very much the junior partner yep. whereas he, in, in Woodstock he was being treated as an equal by Bob Dylan yep. uh, he was probably being treated as uh, more than an equal by the members of the band you know suddenly you've got a beetle, uh, it, it's you know jamming with you. Um, he's straight back into a situation where Lennon is disengaged and McCartney is is coming in with that enthusiastic, you know, yeah. let's do my songs. And if you if if you listen to some of the outtakes and the bootlegs, um, you know, you can hear George demoing "All Things Must Pass." Yes, you know that's a fantastic song, yeah. and the rest of the Beatles just completely disinterested. Um, so that had got to the point where. By the end of January 69, when they're going up on the roof, George has basically said, condition of, of doing this, uh, making this film, me pursuing this, coming back into the band is, I'm not having any of my songs yeah. on this live rooftop concert. Well, you would think, you know, For You Blue. Yeah, I could have thrown that off in there. Um, you know, and that's a kind of pretty simple 12-bar yep. blues that they could have written and recorded in their sleep. And I always took that as being a little bit of a, a kind of, accommodation for Lennon you know Lennon's complaining I don't like these songs you're writing there are all these complicated chords I can't learn it so then he comes up with a very basic 12 bar blues and lets Lennon look here's a nice shiny yeah, lap steel this is a little he's, he, wonky know, lap steel yeah play it with your lighter he's keeping he's keeping Lennon engaged entertained yeah um, that song you could, for you blue that could be a band song that could be a basement tape song yeah. um, but I think he's just stepping back into the situation where he's yeah. very much Third wheel. I mean, you could do a podcast for every day in January 1969, but as we said, you know, I Me Mine appears on the 8th of January. It was written the night before. They did about 40 plus run throughs of it on that day, along with about another 40 odd songs of various hues. And then, apart from John and Yoko waltzing around, it, it just gets it just disappeared. It doesn't reappear at any point. No. Um, uh, and it is the, the only thing from that, the only thing from Twickenham indeed that ends up on the Let It Be album is Queen Says No to Pot Smoking FBI yeah. members, which uh, is the, the, the snippet of chat that opens the um, the uh, the album. Now, we could kind of walk through 1969, but I don't think, I think that's, we should jump forward to August 69. And the 20th of August 1969 is labelled as the last day when John Paul Ringo George are in a studio together in Abbey Road with George Martin 
finishing off. Um, uh, kind Sorry, of you said John Paul Ringo George. Yes, I, I you, you demoted George to the to the end. <laughs> John Paul Ringo George. Well, I, you know it flows better. John yeah. Paul George and Ringo. Well, I don't doesn't think work. so. No, John Paul <laughs> Ringo George. Um, I see. What you're does doing. it work? Yeah, does it work? Could we move Ringo even up in that list no, a little no, bit? No, Could no. we say Ringo, Ringo, Ringo George? Yeah. Um, but uh, that is technically put down as the last day that the four of them are in a recording studio, and they've they've spent about seven weeks doing the main glut of work on Abbey Road. And nobody discusses what's going on. Nobody says this is the last day or we're not going to, to do anything together ever again. But, um, you know, and, and there is no plan, as far as we know from that point, that they were ever going to do anything again. No, I, d- I don't think anyone had made a, a, a decision. In anthology, they talk about, oh, we knew this was the end or we knew this was going to be the last yeah. time. But there's no, I don't get a sense... That, uh, that 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 was actually the case. There was no plan to bring things to an end, and um, you, you know, again, the official narrative is they did the Let It Be sessions, the Get Back sessions. They thought we can't leave it at that, so we have to record one more final album. Yeah. But again, I think that's a, 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 an official line that has developed after yes. the split. I think yeah. that that's now the official story, but I don't think that's borne out by sort of contemporary uh, interviews and... and um, yeah. And if you, if you kind of look at then, we, we have so we have four and a half months from, you know, this Abbey Road fina- final session on the 20th of August and this session on the 3rd of January. And there's an awful lot that happens in that period of time. Um, like Beatle, you know, a, a month in a Beatles life is like more than a year in other bands' lives. Um, so two days after Abbey Road, they do their last photo session in Tittenhouse mm-hmm. Park, that famous kind of on the cover of the Hey Jude compilation album where they're they're looking quite tired and, and weary. Uh, and then the following week, Paul becomes a dad, which is something that kind of gets Just lost in the midst of time. Yeah. That I, I, I don't know about other people, but, you know, usually people in the month before a kid comes along, they're buying buggies and <laughs> baby yeah. grows and they're, they're not trying to negotiate uh, you know a, a new album and a new record contract which they were doing at the time as well um, and obviously Mary McCartney who was born on the 28th of August is the baby on the jacket in the back of Paul's the, McCartney album McCartney, yeah. Yeah. so she's she's born into all of that um, and then we so August becomes September and in September Abbey Road is announced and Abbey Road is played back to the um, the media and it's going to be uh, released and McCartney is hanging around Apple and he's doing interviews and he's doing PR and he's talking up Abbey Road and trying to get onto, onto, onto this for it. And in the midst of all this, Lennon starts to say explicitly for the first time he wants out. Yeah? Yes, that's what's, right. What's he getting at, Lennon? Well, I mean, it, look at where Lennon is at that point. So Yoko is there. He's been pursuing those sort of avant-garde projects with Yoko. Uh, there's the various albums that have come out. Um, he, he's through the White Album and on into the Get Back sessions. He's very much buying into this idea that um, art, the art is about the artist. The artist is the art. And this is coming from Yoko, that everything you do in your life, if you're, you're an artist, is worthy of uh, examination. Um, so he's they they have begun documenting every aspect of their life. They're 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 dressing the same. They're uh, b- b- you know d- doing various projects. Um, that you you've got the ballad of John and Yoko yep. as a kind of documentary of where their their relationship and their uh, their honeymoon and their marriage. Um, so he's becoming very focused. Uh, and what I think were initially side projects. Um, are gradually taking up more and more of his time. Yeah. And um, at that stage, you know, I think the drugs are changing yes. as well. And uh, he, he's starting to dabble in heroin mm-hmm. uh, from the get back sessions on. Um, and again, that's affecting his songwriting. And, and there's a sort of uh, realization that, um, you know, he doesn't want to play with these people. He'd rather, he's happier with Yoko. He's, he's, uh, recording with other people, he's doing concerts with her. With her, well, he makes this ad hoc decision on the twelfth of September to play a gig in Toronto on the thirteenth of September. Yeah, which uh, you know is partially where he tells 
the manager Alan Klein for the first time oh, I'm playing with other people I'm out of the Beatles this is done and Klein is on the verge of signing a very significant renegotiation with EMI of the contract and he's like shut up and Lennon obviously being a crusader for truth decides to shut, shut up, up. Yeah. <laughs> um, And but then a week later and, and, and George had left the Beatles and come back Ringo had left the Beatles and come back um, but then a week later they all John Paul and George meet at Apple HQ to sign this contract and almost in the parlance of our times John is almost gaslighting the other Beatles you know he's kind of saying I want out but I'm going to sign a contract that says I'm in uh, yeah so this is this this is the next stage of their sort of contractual relationship with the EMI the Klein uh, their new manager is there he's been negotiating this as you say Lennon is just back from playing a, a very impromptu gig which uh, turned up in the album live piece in Toronto um, he's recorded with uh, Eric Clapton um, he's got singles coming out by the Plastic Ono Band and he's just, he just suddenly announces yeah I, I want a divorce and this is really I think in response to McCartney pursuing this idea we should you know get in a van go back play some clubs we just turn up unannounced and yes. uh, we need to kind of get our mojo back playing live because I think McCartney has realized that they 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 weren't able to just get in the studio record an album without overdubs they they kind of lost that uh, um spark yeah you know their first album it was recorded in 20 minutes you know <laughs> um, yes um so they really just go into the studio and, and and do their live set because they they were they were road tested all of these songs were road tested they, but they couldn't do this anymore in various forms though they all did a version of get back but just not together like george does his delaney and bonnie thing yeah. john does this gig in toronto so he's not adverse to doing no. spontaneous live events so there's obviously a lot of deep running personality issues that are not allowing this to play out the way it should. Like I bet if Lennon had had the idea, it would it have would been a runner. I think so. I think so because yeah, the two people who are most against this idea of live shows yeah. are are John and George. But yet they're the ones that are going off doing this with the, uh, other people. Yeah, they're doing live shows. Paul's yeah. not doing live shows. No, um, but I think I, I, this is again. I think them not wanting, particularly in George's case, not wanting to be the side man. He's working with people that he regards as his peers that regard him. Yeah. Um, uh, as he's a Beatle, he's yes. not the third in line or fourth in your categorization. <laughs> but, but you know, he's he's not playing second or third fiddle to anybody when he's on stage unless he wants to. So there are a set of pictures that um, you know we'll put up on the Twitter of the twentieth of September, nineteen sixty nine, where uh, John Paul and George are signing the contract with Alan Klein. And the body language and yeah. the facial expressions. They are signing this contract that gives them a huge upping in their royalty rate from EMI and a huge increase in control over, you know, stopping this practice of butchering albums and putting out, you know, different kind of compilations and half records and all the rest. And makes a promise. It kind of, they're already signed up to 76, but it, it revises that promise yeah. up until 1976. And the pictures of that day are just like Paul looks just so upset <laughs> and horrible and run out and just but, but done. He's, but he's still taking the royalties. Well, yeah, he still is. I think he thinks it's his, it's a thread because he mm. wants the Beatles to keep going, and he doesn't want the Beatles to stop. No. Yeah. No. I think that's. I think that's right. I think that's that's right. And I I, I wonder is that the point at which he suddenly realizes that Lennon is serious, or yeah. does he not? I don't I don't I don't get a sense that he, he that any of them you know John has been here before yeah. you know he calls a meeting at one point to say I've just realized I'm Jesus yeah and they all kind of go yeah great fine <laughs> uh, that's 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 marvelous let's move so, so you know he has form yes and as you say Ringo has left and come back George has left and come back but you could argue that Paul knows Paul Paul is the man who knows John Lennon you know, better than anyone through thick and thin, good and bad. And so he must have known that to hear him say the things he was saying on that day, that, oh, actually, this is a real thing. But does Paul actually start reacting in that way? Does he start tempering his behavior in that way? Well, um, we, 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 he does. He, well, before he heads off to Scotland and disappears, and we'll touch upon that in a second, John does one more thing, I think, that draws a line under the Beatles. The last day of September, he goes into Abbey Road Studio 2, where he spent many days of his life, and he does, uh, he records Cold Turkey yeah. with Eric Clapton, Klaus Vormann, and Ringo. And it's the first John Lennon solo writing credit. It's his new song off the back of his heroin addiction. Yeah. And 
I know we've talked before about should that have been a Beatles song or would it have mattered if it was a Beatles song? That's the point at which I think it does become clear to McCartney that something has fundamentally shifted. Yes. Um, You know, my understanding is that John comes in with Cold Turkey, the song, and says, this is the new Beatles single, this is what I want to record, and that everyone says it's not happening. Yeah. Um, They've already earmarked something as the, as the new single. Mm-hmm. This is the, the song that's George Harrison's first A-side. This is an acknowledgement by the rest of the band, that, you know, particularly Paul and, and John. Your songs are as good as our songs now. <laughs> the, you know, they're not going to disrupt that. Harrison's not having it. Yeah. Um, McCartney's not going to have a song about heroin withdrawal released under the Beatles' name. Ringo, you know, he, he's going to just go along with whatever's... Uh, yeah, and he being, turns up for uh, this. And he turns up for this. So I think... That's the point at which Lennon is thinking, okay, well, I, I've had a great time playing with Clapton uh, and Klaus Woman and Alan White and Yoko in Toronto. I can do this. Yeah. And I think it's the uh, solo writing credit is probably the killer. Yes. Because um, Lennon had already put out Give Peace a Chance earlier that year yeah. with a Lennon-McCartney credit. Yeah. And McCartney... Nothing to do with that song. Nothing to do with that song. So they're still, each of them is still honouring that convention of Lennon-McCartney. Although, you had in the start of 69, Mary Hopkins' Goodbye came out with a yeah. pure McCartney credit. So yeah. McCartney had actually already played that card. Yeah, this is this is this this was always the case. All of the, They had this agreement right at the beginning yeah. uh, that they were going to share the songwriting. So that, that starts to So I think get that, that's a split. Yeah. Also... Um, despite the subject matter, this is a this is a kind of proper song. Yes. This is a this is yes, this is a, a yeah. piece of chance chant accidental kind of thing. No, this isn't a kind of weird avant-garde uh, yeah. crazy it's album. Abbey Road Studio Two single yeah. in the charts. Yeah, that and kind of thing. It, it goes up. I think it hits number fifteen. Yeah, uh, so it, it's a chart success. Yeah, um, so and you can tell it's John Lennon. Like yeah. you're listening. Oh, that's John from the Beatles. You yeah, know, yeah. If you're listening to the radio in late '69, it's a bit of a yeah a kick. Uh, so I think that's the point at which I think McCartney is suddenly thinking, oh, oh, okay. So he's now directly in competition with the Beatles. Yeah. You know, the, the Two Virgins Wedding album, they're not com- in, in competition with the White Album or, or yes. Abbey Road. This is a single which is in competition with something. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I think that's the point uh, at which it, it is. I would love to hear a version of Cold Turkey by the, by the Beatles. Well, it would it would sound very similar because Ringo's drumming. It would just have probably a slightly more ornate doodly do bass all over it's it. The, it's the <laughs> and that's what it needs. I think it, so. It's, it's the call Jeff Lynn. It's the uh, it's the um, guitar playing. Yeah, y- you know, and uh, I think the single should have been Cold Turkey and uh, Junk. Oh yeah. Junk. Yeah. <laughs> Two heroin songs T- for the price for, of for one. For the price of one. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I think that's that's probably the point uh, at which McCartney suddenly realizes this is this is a serious issue. So then, in October uh, 1969, McCartney goes up. He's got a six-week-old baby. He's been married to Linda for a couple of months, and he goes up famously to his cottage in Scotland. Now, this is something that is written large in the McCartney legend, and he still talks about it today, which I find kind of I shouldn't laugh. But he sort of says, you know, yeah, I went off to Scotland and I was really depressed and I was, you know, couldn't get anything done. And it was Linda who, you know, pulled it, me through. It's like he's in the room. It isn't it just? It's incredible. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, when you actually look at the calendar dates, which, which I was doing for this, you kind of think he was hardly there at all. How did he, he goes up to Scotland and he's, you know, he, he paints this legend that he couldn't get anything done. And yet he comes back after about, eight or nine weeks with uh, an album recorded, a solo album recorded in his back pocket or the guts of a solo yep. album recorded in his back pocket. And he's doing loads of different things while he's up in Scotland. He's being dead. Yes. So the Paul is dead rumour appears. Yeah. Um, he's being doorstepped by Life magazine to prove that he's not dead. Yeah. He, uh, he is recording, self-recording his clips for the something video, uh, which is curious that there's still Beatle business going on while he's on, on this remote Scottish yeah. plane. Yeah. And uh, somehow he's also going through this depression. And he's living in a house with no no running water, no uh, electricity. Yeah, generator for electricity. Yeah. Uh, partial, partially roofed. A, uh, and a tiny six-week-old baby. And a baby. six-week-old baby. Yeah, I mean, I think this, that, that, th- there's enough there to get you down without if, the Beatles splitting up. If this up. happened today, social services would be... Uh, they'd be knocking, on, be the knocking door, on the door and the door would fall off its hinges <laughs> and they would just take the baby <laughs> and go off 
down the down the cobble path. Yeah, so it's it, and and even the song that he credits to this time, which is "Every Night" off the McCartney album, he'd written that for the Abbey for the Let It Be sessions. Yep. So that wasn't even a true song. It's all a lie. It's all his his. It's a, well, good old Paul, the best one. He's always about selling the story, selling the legend, yeah. the myth. But yeah, there's 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 from early uh, October to mid December, he's up in Scotland and uh, assumingly he's vaguely not contactable. Um, uh, but yet he's getting all these things done and he's self-recording this album and he's keeping it in his back pocket and he's not really telling anyone. Although at, at, that this is the point at which he withdraws from Apple. Yes. So up to the, this point, he's been, you know, one of the key, one of the prime movers in Apple. You know, you've, you, they're all doing something. Uh, they're all doing bits and pieces. Um, but McCartney's got uh, Mary Hopkin. He's working with James Taylor. Um, he starts to withdraw. So Klein has arrived. By this stage, Klein has started to, to clear Apple, um, get rid of the, the dead wood. Um, McCartney is withdrawing from that. Uh Perhaps one of the most telling things is when the reporters from Life turn up yeah. to say, you know, are you are, dead? Are you dead? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he chases them off the uh, the farm by throwing a bucket of water at them. Yes. And then he realizes this is a terrible PR disaster, gets in the Land Rover, drives after them, agrees to give them an interview in exchange for them, you know, scrapping the photographs of him with a bucket of water. And and so he, he goes back into PR, PR mode. mode. Yeah. 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 That's what we love about him. Yeah. He always, uh, he he's always, always has, on. He's he's never off. He's never he? off. He's just fantastic. Um, but yeah, he's 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 he. But he must have known what he was doing. Like, so he fires up a tape recorder in the. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. First thing he records is Lovely Linda, which is the opening track of his eventual solo album the following year. So he obviously knew that he was that this is for a solo album because he was he didn't tell anyone no and he's 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 recording at home he's not got he's not in a studio um yeah. but what he's recording are sort of little experimental things you know lovely linda yeah not really a song it's kind of just to test the equipment he's, but is this not the version paul's version of the uh, Yoko, John and Yoko yeah, experimental record. Exactly. I think this is the point. It is. And he, he's got little instrumentals and he's playing, you know, putting water in wine glasses yeah, and yeah. making noises and uh, just, just vamping over things. And uh, so, yeah, I think this is this is an album of little snippets. It's it's experimental in its own way. It's very rudimentary. The the, the songs Every Night mm. isn't recorded until yeah, actually that's after when he comes that back. much later. Yeah. He gets into a studio to record that. He records Maybe I'm Amazed, is the other big song off that album. Yeah. Um, so he by that stage, it, it starts to, to change from being a little homemade experimental album that he, he, he then thinks, right, I'm going to have to put some proper songs on here. Yeah, the, the, now without getting too listy, the songs he recorded in Scotland were Lovely Linda, that would be something, Valentine's Day, Mama Miss America, and Ooh You, and they are the kind of scrappy ones. These are the, these are the literally just he's messing around in the studio. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yet the Beatles machine keeps on going in that period. So, you know, John puts out the wedding album, John Yoko put out the wedding album uh, during that time. And even Ringo starts recording Sentimental Journey in October 1969. So even he's decided to get on the yep. solo project. And, and I've McCart- got my own album to do. And thing. Mac- McCartney appears on that. He wor- yeah. he, he works with McCartney um, on that. He's work works with George Martin. The the idea there is he's recording a collection of standards and each one is going to be produced by somebody different and McCartney produces uh, Bye Bye Blackbird is that yeah or no Stardust was it Stardust, Stardust. it's uh, the Hoagie yeah. Carmichael Stardust yeah. 
And and but there's still a what what I find fun about this is there's still a Beatles machinery at work. So there's still a Beatles Christmas single being put together. They're not together on it, but they all have something yeah. on it. And, and as far as I know, Paul's bit was recorded in Scotland and sent and, down. And the interesting thing is, for someone who has said I'm leaving, I want a divorce. The, the that single, that Christmas fan club single, is dominated by John yes. Lennon. Yeah. You know, everyone else, little like Harrison is barely there. Yeah. Uh, he just says hello or something. He says hello, happy Christmas. Uh, you know, Ringo is promoting Magic Christian, which is the film he's just just completed with Peter Sellers. Yeah. The bulk of that single is John and Yoko. Yeah, so putting out a Christmas single like that, okay, you can maybe read between the lines and say, well, they're not getting on. They're not in the same room. But it's not a, an operation that's ceasing to be or that's no. shutting down no. business. No, they're, they're, all, they're all contributing. So yeah. as I say, if Lennon has decided he's left, yeah, he's still uh, literally phoning in the, uh, the 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 contribution to that fan club single. And uh, it's fun to remember the person putting that together is Kenny Everett. Yeah, which is he 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 was the fifth Beatle. He's potentially a fifth Beatle. We should talk about that sometime. Um, so yeah, so I've always assumed. That you know the this the the session that we kind of we're talking about the roads leading up to this third of January session. I've always assumed that the reason it happened on the third of January was that Paul was just unavailable or he wasn't able to arrange anything until he came back to London uh, just before Christmas '69. And as soon as yeah. he's back in Cavendish Avenue in his house, that they're able to ring him up and find a, a slot that suits. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think the intention was that all four of them would be there yeah but Lennon declined yes and uh, he at this point is heading to Denmark right um, where Yoko's first husband is there with their daughter and uh, he, he they're, they're going there ostensibly to visit with uh, her daughter but uh, people who saw them at the time saying this is the point at which they are starting to detox uh, from heroin yes and it's you know, some of the Ringo has said for years in interviews is that Joe Paul was the driving force to get them into the studio. Yes. He'd always be the first Beatle if they'd had a little holiday to ring them up and say, are we back next week, lads? What are yeah. we doing? And I've often wondered who made the calls or who, you know, at what... Obviously, there's cuts of the Let It Be film happening in the background. And so there's this decision that I Me Mine needs to, needs to exist. Mm. So this probably isn't something that's been led by Paul to any degree. It's a George song that needs to be recorded and yeah, it's Apple that are saying it needs to be done. I'm, I'm assur- I, I've am i always assumed it was Michael Lindsay Hogg was saying, right, we've, we've, yeah. we've got this clip. This is a this is a nice little piece. We need the song. Yeah. Um, so it's maybe for the first time they're, they're being driven by an outside yeah. uh, force to get them back in, into the studio. And it's interesting to speculate if that hadn't been the case, would they have ever gone back into the studio? Yeah. So you still have... This is the crux. So you get to the 3rd of January. It's a Saturday, 1970. Uh, you know, three or four days earlier, Lennon has had his own show on ITV about being a man of the decade. and all The this. man of the decade. The man of the decade. And he's kind of at his peak John and Yoko-ness, yep. almost, as, as 1969 turns into 1970. Um, and he's in Denmark, isn't he? Yeah. So he and Yoko sort of absent themselves for two or three weeks. Yeah. Um, this is the point at which I think they're, although he's written Cold Turkey and that's come out and he's, he's singing about coming off heroin. Yeah. He's not come off heroin. Uh, he maybe tried, uh, but he is in Denmark detoxing yeah. at this point. So he, and he's cutting his hair and cutting the, the each cut their hair <laughs> um, and then subsequently, I think, donated it to a charity. Yeah, they probably buried As you it do. in the field or whatever they did. Um, but uh, but so yeah, so he's he's absented himself. Uh, it's a George song. He's probably not interested anyway, even if he wasn't on smack. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so you have George, uh, Paul, and Ringo, and it's a classic recording session. It's there's nothing half-assed about it. It's in Abbey no. Road Studio Two. George Martin is there. Yep. And they are recording "I Me Mine." They are you know, and it's a, it's a it's a slight song. In fairness, it's a ninety-second basic song but they do something like 17 odd takes uh, of I Me Mine but it's a real you know it's still a real session for a yep. real project yeah, yeah. and presumably you know what I always think is interesting is you know that there's part of this split narrative that says you know George felt held back and he wanted to do his own thing but George out of the four Beatles had done nothing towards a solo career by this point particularly he hadn't you know All Things Must Pass 
he hadn't even demoed it. He hadn't got it prepped or ready. He had done nothing no, towards, no, no. in no. that gap at the end of 69, he'd done nothing towards uh, solo work except the Delaney and Bonnie kind of tour. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think there's any sense. This is what I'm saying. I don't think there's any sense at this point that collectively or individually they had decided or they realized, yeah, this is it. Yeah. We're, we're, we are, we're winding down. I mean, they, they realized there was obviously animosity. They weren't going to probably work in the same way. Mm. But I don't think there was any sense that this was the final. Yeah. And, and it, it is funny. I mean, in modern day times, have you seen that Metallica documentary? Yes. yes. Where they hang out with their, their, uh, their psychotherapist and they try and work out their issues. It's an extraordinary I, I watch that film every few years and I feel differently about it every time I see it. I used to, first time I saw it, I laughed at them. Then as I got older, I was like, yes, they, they need the support and then it's hard being a parent and all this kind <laughs> of craziness about it. Um, but there's no machinery like that that exists at that time for no. groups like the Beatles. No, and I think this is, this is one of the things that, that I think an anthology that Harrison says and in, in subsequent uh, interviews where he's saying, we did not realise how bad... John, you know, how badly off the rails he was at that time. We yeah. knew he was going through a lot, but he'd been off the rails before, yeah. you know, in this in, in Hamburg and in the, the kind of fat Elvis period that he talked about, um, the sort of the LSD trips that, that this was just John and, and this was just an, another phase that he was going through. You know, McCartney was saying, you know, they, he, he knew at the time he was on heroin, but, yeah. you know, you didn't have rehab wasn't really a thing. Interventions weren't a thing that if it was happening 20 odd years later, it would have been handled differently. Yeah, that's um, the thing. There would have been a, a yeah, way they, they, out. And, but there just was no precedent for this. Yeah. There, 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 was, there was no template. Yeah. And famously, uh, it ended up on Anthology Volume 3, the CDs. George makes this joke press release in the middle of all of this, doesn't he? Yes, so he's, he's, he's referencing Dave D. Dave D is no longer with us, but Beaky McIntyre, we're going to keep up the good work that's gone down in. Abbey Road number two. Number two. So he, he's referencing Dave D. Beaky Mick and Titch. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the legend of Xanadu. Um, that they, they, you don't they, listen they, to the podcast, the Dave D. podcast? No, no, no I don't. I don't. Um, yeah. But obviously that's a very knowing kind of, yeah, we're the Beatles, we're here, John isn't here, but we're just going to keep on going, having fun. And, you yeah. know, and it, I, it, it I, doesn't sound, I, I, I don't think a bootleg of the entire session has appeared. I haven't heard anything other than um, so, But we, we don't know what the interaction is like with the rest of them during the day. But it, yeah. No, but it, 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 sounds, it sounds jokey, it sounds congenial enough. And yeah. it's, it's, it's Paul, George and Ringo. Yeah, and they've recorded as a threesome in various yeah. different versions before, you know. Um, I mean, particularly during Abbey Road, where, you know, John was at one point, there was a car accident, he wasn't present, yeah. he wasn't present, but... Um, also, he's he's absenting himself from George yeah. sessions anyway. But and George is recording the Inner Light in India on his own and bringing yeah. it back. So, to so it's it's wrong it, with that. No, it's 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 a perfectly standard uh, session. And interestingly, those three in a room, John elsewhere, the the traditional thought is well, it was Paul had fallen out with everybody else. Yes, uh, well, th that's it. And Paul is, but this also is Paul, n no, not wanting to let go. Yeah, There's a chance I think to so. grab the Beatle stick one more time yeah but is, are any of them are any of them wanting to let go except John I don't think so at this point um, and the session that day was a 10 hour session roughly from about 2.30 to uh, quarter past midnight the following day um, they did an instrumental jam after one take they did a version of Peggy Sue Got Married at one point and um, you know they, they recorded a, a you know as is their want a song in a day and they, yep. they, they got it um, they got it all done and then but that wasn't it I mean if that was it you could kind of think Fair enough. But then they go back in the next day and they dust off Let It Be and they put a new, George puts a new solo on and uh, Paul replaces John's wonky bass. And yep. they, they, yep. they, they, you know, they're, they're back to, you know, keeping an eye on the prize that there's a Let It Be album that needs to be somehow put together. Um, but obviously no final decision has been made about what form that will take at that time. And I think this is the, the one thing that's keeping Paul in the group at this point is that dun, dun, dun. Phil Spector hasn't appeared on the scene yet. Yes. And it's hard to believe when, you know, it's four months later, there's a Let It Be album in the shops that Phil Spector has done his thing to, that Phil Spector isn't even in the country uh, until later in January 1970. He hasn't really been no, he's not, he's flagged not, for he, any of this work no. yet. Although I read there's a, there's a book, a uh, biography of Alan Klein, uh, which yep. talks about a, a dinner, I think in November 69, where Klein is... is, is um, uh, having dinner with Harrison and Ringo and uh, Paul and he, that, this is where Spectre's name first appears uh, so on the face of it McCartney has kind of okayed 
the involvement of Spectre. Yeah. And uh, I think Spectre doesn't land in England until uh, until later in January. And he's given some kind of ceremonial role in Apple as well, isn't he? Yes. Um, but, you know, f- standing in Abbey Road that weekend of the 3rd and 4th of January 1970, you know, as far as Paul is concerned, he's playing on songs for a Beatles album. Phil Spector has got nothing to do with that Beatles album. It's still going to be a rough and ready get. It's still. Yeah. I still don't think they've even nailed down the fact of calling it Let It Be yet. No, over I think it's still back. being called Get Back at this stage. That they're, that they're still debating that. And the other thing that's going on that weekend is the, for Let It Be is that they're doing instrumental overdubs. So George Martin is scoring stuff yep. and there's some horns going on to Let It Be. And it's, it's just like the old days. Yeah, it's just like normal days. But obviously, when they left on uh, Sunday the 4th, there was no plans to. Uh, yeah. They didn't swap their deets and then decide to get back to each other somewhere no. down the line. No. Which is, is, is pretty pretty weird. Um, so then if you kind of, if you see then what happened next, you know, the question is, could something have happened or something not have happened at that time that would have kept them going? And I guess it probably would have needed John to say, let's, let's do something. Let's get back. Yeah, I think so. And I the thing so. John did next is probably the thing that was the final 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 nail in the coffin which was recording instant karma so the 27th of january later that month he records instant karma um harrison and himself are in studio two abbey road recording instant karma and at this point phil specter is there he's there um so uh, this is uh, lennon has just come back i think the day before yeah from denmark so say the 25th or 26th he gets back to london from denmark 27th he's in the studio uh, recording Instant Karma. The phrase Instant Karma comes from uh, the the second wife of Tony Cox, who was Yoko's <laughs> first husband, if, you, if you're keeping can we, score. Can we draw, let me just draw that out on a piece of paper. Um, so she, yeah. she, she used the phrase Instant Karma and he, he took that, like the phrase, and by, you know, within 24 hours he's in the studio uh, recording the song. Um, Ringo is in America. I think he's in LA at this point, so he's not available. Okay. Um, so again, it's tempting to think if Ringo, who played on Cold Turkey, if he had been available, would he have called Ringo? But instead, he calls Alan White. Yep. Uh, who had played with uh, him in Toronto uh, the previous year, and George. Yeah. Uh, now, if you listen to Instant Karma, can't really hear any guitar on that. Yeah. Um, so I'm not quite sure. Uh, you know what contribution George is making to that song maybe keyboards I don't know but um, tempting to think if Ringo had been there this could have been three Beatles uh, Uh, recording I mean you know you go on the internet and there's loads of Beatles fans who sort of do this you know Beatles 1970 album 1971 Mm. album that they try and put together all the uh, solo tracks and have these fantasy albums but I mean Instant Karma really could have been a Beatles song. It's catchy, it's poppy, it's not about cold turkey. No. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's designed to be a, a, a smash hit. And, you know, you play this kind of what could have been type issues. You know, the, the the flip side of this is that, you know, in February, McCartney is under an assumed name and he's recording Maybe I'm Amazed and he finishes the McCartney album with Man We Were, or was it uh, May? Yeah, Man We Was Lonely was the last song recorded for that album. And, you know, there's a parallel universe where there's a double A side Beatles single in May 1970 of Instant Karma and Maybe I'm Amazed and it's yeah. business as usual. And that could have been a, a something that could have happened. It could. I, I think I think uh, Instant Karma, again, builds on Cold Turkey. Yeah. So Cold Turkey is a proper song. It, it, it races up the charts. Um, Instant Karma more so. Uh, I think it got the number three, did it? Mm-hmm. Um, in the UK. Um, so again, it's a direct competitor yeah. uh, for, for the Beatles. I have, a sen- I have a feeling the Beatles were at number one, Instant Karma was at number three at one point. Um, it's after that charts that McCartney goes into the studio. Yes, because so, Instant Karma comes out super fast. It's yeah. recorded on the 27th of January and it's released on the 6th of February. Yeah, yeah. and then McCartney sees this and yeah. he's suddenly thinking, right, okay, I'm in the studio. I've got maybe I'm amazed every night. Uh, would you say that latter song has been kicking around for a while? Yeah, he's recording proper songs yes. for the for the first solo album, and I think that's is what is just really driving home to him. This is this it's is over. done. Yeah, this is over. And and it's still amazing about how fast things happen in in the Beatle world because Spectre only starts work on Let It Be in March. On the twenty third of March, he does ten sessions in two weeks, and he's done. Yeah. Um, and then the final nail in the coffin is the, the the Ringo knocking on Paul's door. For those who don't know the story, uh, what would how would you describe it? <laughs> well, this is there was a, there was a sort of a glut 
of Apple related product coming yeah. out uh, in that month. So you you had uh, McCartney had I think without reference to the others. So yeah. he, he's recorded this album sort of secretly. He's using an assumed name for studio time. He has slotted this in to the Apple release yeah. roster. You've got Let It Be coming out, uh, the Beatles album coming out. You've yeah. got Ringo's solo album coming out, and they're all coming out in a, in a kind of two, three week And Paul never period. seems to have told the other Beatles directly about his solo album. He no. told Neil Aspinall no. in Apple Records, and they told the he, he was yeah. tasked with telling the others. So it just suddenly appears on the schedule. So yeah. suddenly there's this glut of product, and, and the other three incline take the view, well, the, these, these albums are all going to cut across each other. They're all going to impact on the sales. Uh, we need to space this out. There, there, there's, I think... They wanted him, McCartney. They decided uh, we need to push this back to June. Yeah. There was a, a Capitol Records convention scheduled for June in America, and they were thinking, right, okay, if we push it back to then, you'll you'll get a bounce off that. You'll be able to release it at the same time. Um, so they write him a letter, mm. and it, it's quite a nice letter. Yeah. You know, we've been thinking about this. We're very sorry, um, but we think it would be better if your record is pushed back to June. Clearly. Paul, at this stage, he's had his run-ins with uh, John. He's had a run-in with uh, George. So the other two send Ringo to be the uh, uh, the emissary and to deliver the letter. So Ringo drives around to Cavendish Avenue and uh, goes in uh, and delivers the letter to Paul, saying, "You know, sorry, have to push your record back by a couple of months for the release date." And doesn't, Paul doesn't take it well. Doesn't take it well. To put it mildly. Yeah. Yeah. Ringo was dismayed. <laughs> there, he, this, this, this comes out in a court, uh, an affidavit that he files, the Ringo files in court at a later point. Yeah. And, and uh, I think that's the phrase he used. I was dismayed <laughs> by Paul's reaction. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there's a lawyer involved in drafting that. But um, essentially, uh, the, the, the story is that uh, Paul almost physically throws him out of the house. And, and that's it. Yeah. Massive riot. Um, and that, I think, is the final. Yeah, and the end result is that McCartney's date stays the date it is. And I yeah. think they, they Ringo, push, Ringo moves his date. Yeah. Um, and so the McCartney album comes out on April the 17th. And a week before, McCartney puts out this press release that more or less says the Beatles are done, finished, that he's not going to work with John Lennon anymore. And it's all, it's interpreted by the press as it's, that's it, the date when it's reported it, Paul's left the Beatles. It, it is. It's, it, and it's an odd interpretation if you if you look at the questions and look at the background to that. So Peter, Peter Brown, uh, who worked for Apple, it, it had sort of said to Paul, you're going to have to do some press publish you know publicize this record McCartney's not up for that and he said you know you you take care of it so Peter Brown comes up with a list of questions and McCartney gives the answers to that and this goes out at the same time as 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 the uh, media advanced copies of the record he never actually says mm. the Beatles are over he said do you have any plans to record with the Beatles again uh, you know at the, at the moment no yeah. then they never planned anything you know yeah. since Epstein's death it was all very much sort of ad hoc as you say Paul would would pick up the phone and say let's get in the studio yeah. so, so they weren't mapping out you know six months in advance they didn't have a strategy um, he says uh, you know do you see a time when you're the Lennon McCartney songwriting partnership would be restored he says no yeah but again they've been writing on their own for quite a while um, so at no point does he actually say the Beatles are over, or yes. I've left the Beatles, or yeah. I've quit the Beatles. But he, he knew what he was doing. The he, context he, is everything. He, he did. But if you go back to that October, November Life magazine yeah. story, that's the point hmm. uh, at which he uses the phrase, the Beatle thing is over. Yes, yeah. But that wasn't picked up. Yeah. Um, that was just a story about, is Paul dead? Well, no, he's actually still alive. But he, he, he actually uses the phrase, the Beatle thing is over. Yeah, he does. But it's... Uh, it, it's in April 1970 that suddenly this becomes yeah. a headline. Uh, yeah. Paul quits Beatles. Is 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 like it was the Mail or the Standard, and that's that's the the, the big front. But page. I wonder, was there an impression at the time that you know, oh well, John's a bit flighty, and of course he's going to put out solo records. But Paul's the sensible one, and if he's putting out a solo record, then mm. it really must be over. I don't know. I mean, I think it, it all seems again. The official narrative seems to be it's all hinging on that uh, that uh, press release. Yeah, and it's so. I mean, that is the thing. Going back to this third of January session, there's three months between that session as the Beatles recording a song for the Beatles, and three months later, Ringo's been kicked off the doorstep, and ten days later, Paul's like, 
I'm, this is done. It. This is we are through. Yeah, um, it, it moves pretty fast. It was pretty pretty quick. Um, the day that that story broke, there were only two Beatles available. Mm-hmm. So George and Ringo are in Apple headquarters. Yeah, um, and there's footage, news footage of Ringo kind of leaving the building. Yeah, George is the one who is there front and center and being asked for a quote. Paul quit the quit the Beatles, and he he doesn't confirm or deny it. He's he makes some comment about well, I think the Beatles would be very it would be very selfish of the Beatles to split up. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it's at this occasion where he makes a reference to you know a flower is a beautiful thing, <laughs> but a garden is an even more beautiful thing. And yeah. uh, you know um, we'll, I'm sure we'll work together. And so he's very much he's not saying yeah yeah we you know it's all over we we we've come to the end of the road. So it's it's only after that that Derek Taylor then is puts is, out that statement. Puts out the statement. Yeah. Which says something yeah, very well, flowery about uh, yes. <laughs> the Beatles uh, will continue. The Beatles will continue and on in all of our hearts, and Paul is kind of you know doing, no his, own doing his own thing. Yeah. But George isn't saying that. Yeah. Um, so even then, uh, you know, George having left the Beatles in inverted commas a year before, he's he's not the one that's going to say yeah yeah it's all over. Yeah. So, I mean, none of it is neat and easy. And, you know, there's a lot of the Beatles story that is compelling, but their split, I, I don't think was ever really a given. And there probably was stuff that could have been salvaged in early January. But I it was just nobody bothered. Nobody tended to the garden, really. I, I think I, that's nicely put. Thanks, I think I, I think that's the <laughs> uh, I think they didn't I, work on themselves. Steve. They didn't work on themselves. No. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, but oh. yeah, yeah, I, th- I, I think it is the case that uh, you know, it's very easy to see a situation where the Beatles continued as a sort of an entity. Mm. They were all doing their own things. You you know, the Beatles were never going to record a version of Stardust. Um, So Ringo could go off and do his own thing, do his country album, do his album of standards. George uh, could do his Indian stuff if he wanted. McCartney could do his little experimental album. John could put out the stuff with Yoko and they might come back together again once a year. And, And, you know, they each get yeah. you know three four tracks Ringo gets a track they put something out and then they they, they go off and do something else so mm. I mean George had been working collaboratively with other people um, you know John had been doing that uh, I suppose even McCartney to an extent in terms of his production with Mary Hopkin and and uh, producing artists for uh, Apple. So you could see a situation where there was a Beatles album every year or every yeah. other year. And actually, by today's standard, that would be quite a prolific yeah. uh, output. Um, in the 60s, it was required that they put out two albums a year and a couple of singles. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 what could have a been? missed opportunity. Yeah, what could have been. Okay. Well, look, see what you think. Could something have happened on that weekend on the... Uh, 3rd and 4th of January 1970 we can discuss this I suppose through social media channels uh, the show has uh, presence on Twitter we're at Beatles Pod if you want to get in touch with us there um, but I think we've said all that needs to be said uh, for nothing is real I'm Jason Carty I'm Stephen Cockcroft and we'll see you next time catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 